Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm Troy Richards, the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri. I'm joined by our worship pastor, Daniel Mawson, and we're glad you decided to join us today. This podcast was created to show how all of God's Word leads us to a better understanding of Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior and Lord. Our church is working through a reading plan to read the entire Bible in a year, and each week we invite people to share what insights they've learned and what the Holy Spirit has revealed through the reading of God's Word. We'll also address some questions, some serious, some that are a lot of fun to talk about, all from this week's reading. And we pray that you will see how amazing the Bible is to read each and every day. And by us sharing some of our highlights, we hope you will be inspired to read it for yourself. You can find our reading plan and read along with us at www.firstbaptistjackson.com. Well... Austin, Austin, good to have you. Glad you, thanks. Glad you popped in. That was yes. this is kind of a short notice thing. So, well, it's short notice for me too. Yeah, it's actually long notice because I think when we actually first conceived the idea of a podcast, <laughs> you were the person we had in mind of being here. Yeah, and it's taken us this long to get I, you here. I somewhat remember that. Yeah, we contacted your agent multiple times He's trying scheduling to scheduling conflicts. Can you please get Austin in here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just a difficult person. I was actually free all those times. He just <laughs> he he was just kind of holding me for the expectation of if something better came along. That's, That's right. I understand. So, yeah. Austin, tell us about yourself. What do you do? How old are you? What do you look like? See, the viewers can't see you. So, yes. well, I am. I'm 20 years old. I was about to say 19, but I've been 20 for a few months now. So 20. that's a little. All right. <laughs> um, I am the redhead that is not Evan. The red. Okay. As if you go to this church, you you will understand that reference. If not, then uh, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Sorry. Um, let's see. I don't know exactly how tall I am. Don't know how much I weigh because I haven't measured either of those things in a very long time. Right. But it's a podcast, so you can say you're six eleven, and that's right. people are like I am seven two <laughs> and single, ladies. That's right. He can play basketball. He just chooses not to. He just chooses yes. not to. Um, you going to school? Yes, it's SEMO. SEMO? What do you mm-hmm. major? What's your major? I do not currently have one. Doesn't currently have a major, but taking classes and living life. Yes, taking just the most random classes that I can possibly think. Yeah, of. you work somewhere. I work at St. Francis Medical Center. Oh, uh, what do you do there? I sit at a desk and answer the phone. Excellent, everyone's dream. Yes, it it actually quite nice, quite. I should say. The only bad thing about it is that I have to pretend to be nice when I answer the phone. <laughs> Well, that's great. Yeah, which isn't too hard, but on on hour eight, it gets a little difficult. Yeah. When for the third time you get someone calling about the same problem and you just have to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I can help you. Yeah, that's nothing like church work. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I well, can this only is, imagine. This has been a really cool week because the readings this week have been uh, some, of the, some of the most important parts of Scripture. Uh, I always hate saying that because it makes me, you know, but these are things pick that, favorites. I mean, you pick the Ten Commandments. I mean, I mean, you have the Ten Commandments in this week's reading, and that's something that, you know, is on poster board everywhere all over America. And and you have some, obviously the Psalms and Proverbs are, are good too, but uh, the um, but this time in Matthew, as he's going through this, the end times, people love to talk about those kind of things as well. So, so what stuck out to you, Austin? What are some things that uh, hit some highlights for us? Well, I will answer your question with another question, because I have a few that I wrote down here. Let's see. So I was wondering if there were any applications to what Jericho was trying to get Moses to do when he was having him delegate work. 
Jethro. Jethro. Jericho. Yeah, Jericho's a city. Same thing. Jethro's a, yeah. Yeah. Was trying to get Moses to do when he was having him delegate work. Did you ever watch the Beverly Hillbillies? No, I did not. Okay. The Beverly Hillbillies. This is just you one said of those that, and that I shows thought me Beverly Hills Cop, yeah, which I have seen. Uh, well, it still is my generation, but Seven Beverly Hillbillies actually predates me. Uh, we had uh, Jed Clampett and Granny and Jethro. Jethro. Jethro Bodine was one of the characters on that. So every time I, when I would read the Bible and see Jethro, that was the name that was who popped into my head. Uh, but that Jethro and the Jethro in the Bible are very different people. It's Moses' father-in-law, and he is he is trying to uh, he he is bringing some wisdom. He sees Moses. Moses literally is judging everyone, and what that means is is people bring their problems to him. He's their leader, and so he has people lined up all day long listening to their uh, cases and so forth and trying to come up with decisions for them. And Jethro says, this is a horrible way to manage your time and the time of everyone else, because you could have somebody deeper in this line who is a much more urgent matter, and you're not even going to hear their pressing need because you've got all these other people in front. And so he gives gives him this idea of dividing people up into thousands and into hundreds and fifties and tens, and then putting leaders over, like for instance, you have somebody over 10 people, then you have somebody over the people who are over the tens, over 50 people, and then so and then hundreds and thousands and so forth. So uh, it really was a ma- it's a management style that we still use today. It is mm-hmm. something that is incorporated into uh, all the fabric of our society, and and here you have uh, kind of a beginning point for that. Uh, it gives Moses the ability to just simply deal with upper level management, so to speak, and the, and the more crucial issues that can't be resolved, but everyday issues that other people can handle. Then they then they have those things delegated. It's an incredible way. Uh, I mean, we use this here at First Baptist Jackson. Many churches use the same style of leadership in that uh, we empower people to oversee small groups. And then you have, if your church is larger, then you have multiple people over groups of small groups. And then you have, and then it just keeps going up the chain uh, like that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, well, when you said that, I mean, thought because uh, I was in Boy Scouts and we do the same exact thing there. Because mm-hmm. like each, there are different patrols in every troop and there's a leader to every patrol. And then the all those patrol leaders go directly to whoever's our like senior leader. Right. And then they have the scoutmaster, who's their leader, yeah, and yeah, things like that. And so that's um, so it was. It, it really was. Um, impor- it was an important enough moment that it's recorded, obviously. But uh, but that that traditional leadership structure carried on throughout the the nation of Israel. Um, well, it's still carried it's still on. Still going. Every, yeah. Still going. Yeah, mm-hmm. that we still use it today. Cool. Cool. That's well, it's good. good talking to you. Glad you came. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> this has been the Understanding Jesus podcast. <laughs> That's right. Um, I'll see you guys in another six months whenever my agent says I'm free. Anything else? What else did you pull out of there? All right. So um, why did God give some of the other laws in the Old Testament other than the Ten Commandments? Well, the Ten Commandments is kind of like uh, the covenant. It's like God saying, here is um, – it's the – it's actually it's ten words that, that really represent our agreement between God, and that's why there's two tablets. It's believed that the Ten Commandments, it wasn't five on one and five on the other. There were actually ten commandments on each tablet to show in a covenant agreement. You get a copy, I get a copy. So one one being representing what God has said, one given to the people. And, and that's kind of the baseline of everything. But they needed 
more instruction to deal with everyday matters, uh, some of which, you know, just boggle the mind as far as, you know, you can't eat a goat that was boiled in its mother's milk. That's one of my favorite laws. Uh, trying to, you know, you always That's think, too bad, too, because I, I, I've, I've always, that is a family recipe yeah, yeah, that we've had for that. years. Uh, Wait, so how did, then does God feel about turduckins? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'd really like to ask him that. <laughs> well, you'll get your opportunity someday. <laughs> uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments, though, kind of give us this, this baseline. These are the major tenets of our relationship between five that really relate to, between us and God and five about how we relate to one another. And, uh, and really, again, it's a baseline thing. Uh, John Piper, in his book Desiring God, points out that uh, thou shalt not commit adultery is not everything there is to say about marriage. <laughs> you know, if you, on Valentine's Day, you don't say to your wife, you know, uh, for this year for Valentine's Day, I'm not going to commit adultery. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you know, and that's, it's kind of like, that's kind of the lowest common denominator. <laughs> it's like, this is the bare minimum of what you need to do. But it goes about, way above and beyond in all, as, in all aspects. So so the other laws are are there to say, okay, now let's flesh this out a bit. Jesus, though, summed it up and said, okay, you have all these laws. that He, he took out the oral Torah, the, the uh, what's called the law that was spoken. Um, in Jesus' day, they had a lot of laws that they added that they said weren't written and they were giving as much weight to those laws as they were to the mosaic law that moses had given and jesus really just kind of just threw that away and said that's not from god that's i didn't give you that you made that yourselves and you made it to your own advantage you wrote these laws or, or speak these laws uh feeding your own natural desires and cravings and so forth so the um uh but the the laws that we have, Jesus said, he summed that up by saying the first and greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which isn't in the Ten Commandments, but is later revealed in Levitical law. And then he said the second's like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Again, not connected to the Ten Commandments, but he said that those two commands, really everything is summed up in that. Because like I said, the first five commandments really dealing with how we relate to God uh, that's the love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second five are loving your neighbor yourself. You know, not um, not stealing, not bearing false witness, not murdering, not coveting. Those are things that lend themselves to honoring your father and your mother. The uh, lend your, lend toward how we relate to one another. And Jesus said, this is how we sum it all up. Then with his disciples, he said, I can sum it up in one. Uh, and that is just love other people as I have loved you. And this is the commandment that I want you to focus on. So uh, we have more clarity. We have more clarity on the laws of the Old Testament because we live in a time where we have the revelation of Christ. He's shown us how to interpret the law. They didn't have that at the time, uh, but but we have that advantage today. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And I think the, like, love one another as I've loved you is a real important thing. Cause I remember, uh, last semester I actually took a class, which is uh, new Testament literature where we went over a lot of just the main points in the new Testament and talk more in depth about things like that. Mm -hmm. And the biggest takeaway I got from, from, uh, I, I wouldn't say the biggest takeaway I got from the entire class, but one thing that really stuck with me was, uh, my instructor saying like, uh, to love someone doesn't necessarily mean you have to like them. Mm -hmm. Like just just because you 
don't like a specific person doesn't mean you have to like wish ill will upon them and things like that. Right. Cause like, I mean, there are plenty of people that I don't like, but I'm never gonna like, I'm never gonna like hate them. I guess. Well, like, like implies an emotion Mm -hmm. of how we feel about somebody when, and, and that's one of the things love gets equated with emotion a lot of times. But when the Bible is speaking to us, not that emotions aren't involved, but when the Bible is speaking to us about love, it's not about how God feels about us. It's about what action he's taken toward us. Mm-hmm. And love is something that is an action taken toward a person or for a per- in favor of a person that is favorable to that person, meaning that it, it, it brings a blessing to your life. Um, and so loving other people as Jesus loved us, by qualifying it like that, by saying, love others as I have loved you, then the exercise becomes, well, how has Jesus loved us? How has he demonstrated life for us? He, even in that same passage in John, specifies greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. So he's saying, here is the epitome of perfect love, that you would lay your your life down for the cause of somebody else, meaning you give up. And, and that's, a, that's an active participating, uh, that's an action that you're taking for the benefit of somebody else. To say that I hate somebody, but I'm going to lay my life down for somebody is an oxymoron. Those two don't reconcile. It, to say that you love somebody and not willing to lay your life down for them is also the same thing. It's not, it's showing, if I'm, if I'm completely self-absorbed and, and serving my own self-interest, then that is me not loving somebody. I, and this has such a practical application in that when couples come to me and say, uh, I don't love him anymore or I don't love her anymore, and yet they say, but I'm going to continue on to be a faithful husband or a faithful wife. And it's like, that is what loving them is. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's it's doing it even, in fact, it's, it's even greater when you don't feel like doing it and you still do it. Uh, and that's why Jesus said, love your enemies. That means, that doesn't mean that you have to feel warm fuzzies toward them or have these emotional uh, things inside you that make you feel amorous toward that person. It's just simply that you treat them in a way that you are willing to lay your own needs down for their benefit and, and to live life in a way that's favorable toward them, making sacrifices of yourself for the benefit of other people. That is what loving other people as Christ has loved us. The world doesn't get that about us. Uh, a lot of times I think they misunderstand our motives and our nature. For one, we send a lot of mis- mixed messages out. We don't actually love people as Jesus has loved us. We do not treat people as Jesus has treated us. We do not respect people as Jesus has respected us. We don't forgive people as Jesus has forgiven us. And so when we were going through the New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, and we're looking at the nature of God and discerning why he does the things he does, and and thank God we have the revelation of Christ, Jesus' life shows us how to interpret the Old Testament. Now, that gives us a better understanding of this is what it really means to love somebody. And so we take that and apply that. And when you do that, when you love people as Jesus loves us, it is different than anything else you will see, any other manifestation of love the world has and so forth. It does set itself apart. It does. It is something that people desire to have, people that uh, want to um, um, know and realize, unless they just, of course, hate God. <laughs> and I want to have no part of it. Well, it's good because I just having that picture of because Scripture calls us like enemies of God and mm. and like openly hostile 
to him. And, and that makes that verse so so crazy when it says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. Like we we didn't enter into the relationship as his friend. We entered in as hostile to right. to Christ, and yet he still loved us. You know, loving his enemies, he didn't he didn't do it because we were this great pal, this great friend of his. We did it. He did it because he just loved his enemies. Yeah. And, and and tells us things like when somebody asks something from you to give it to them and people try to qualify that and say, well, if they deserve it or if they, and it's like, he didn't say that and he didn't do that. He just gave himself away because there wasn't anything that he had of merit or worth. It was just, he, um, he just simply gave everything he had to those around him. And, uh, and I think that we try to we try to, our selfishness kind of tries to translate what Jesus did and so forth in different ways, but but ultimately it ends with you losing your life. You're gonna if you're mm-hmm. gonna love as Jesus loved, He gave His life away for us. That is what He's going to ask of us as well, even when people have not done anything to deserve it or merit it, because that is what He did for us. We did nothing to merit it. He still gave it to us. People, other people are not going to do anything to merit our love, but we are still to give it to them. Um, we did have a question about um, the angel of the Lord in Exodus 23, and where God sends his angel out before him, uh, and basically, who is the angel? And, and I think the question was, did, wasn't it God who went before them uh, in the fire and the cloud and um, and led the, led the children of Israel through the wilderness? The angel in these passages, if if your Bible's like my Bible, it uses a capital A for that angel. And one of the reasons is, is when you look in 23, I'm going to have to look up. Sorry, guys. Uh, Exodus 23. See, we're giving you all these chances to actually read the Bible while we're doing this. Um, well, he says, um, I am going to, um, well, I said it's in capital letters, but the... Um, the Bible is in New King James, but it's not, it's in capital letters. Um, uh, let me see if it is. He says this, I'm going to send an angel before you to protect you on the way and bring you to the place I prepare. Be attentive to him and listen to him. Do not defy him because he will not forgive your acts of rebellion for my name is in him. But if you will carefully obey him and do everything I say, uh, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and a foe to your foes, for my angel will go before you and bring you to the land of the Amorites, Hethites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. Um, the the um, key words there in verse 21, he says, Be attentive to him and listen to him. Do not defy him because he will not forgive your acts of rebellion. Because... God is attributing to this angel the forgiveness of sin uh, and rebellion. It is a uh, idea is, is that this is a pre-incarnate, again, pre-incarnate expression of Christ. Now, there are several times we've talked about this before when the angel of the Lord, uh, one, appears in the burning bush. Uh, he appears uh, in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when, when we get to the book of Daniel. Um but, uh, and, well, things we've already covered back with Genesis when he came and spoke to uh, Abraham. <clears throat> the, um, the, all these expressions are, again, 
it it appears as though the this angel has more attributes of God. That it is not a created being. It is not um, it is not a messenger that God has sent. And it's uh, some will say, well, it's maybe he's talking about Moses. Well, again, he's giving attributes to this angel that Moses would not be able to possess. Well, is it fair to say that when he says, "My name is in him," that correct? That's almost a admission of yeah. this yeah, is a heavenly but, being that basically represents me, right? And that carries my name. Correct. And we don't have, uh, at the time, they don't have the revelation of Christ that we have. We wouldn't, they wouldn't, it wouldn't dawn upon them to use the term pre-incarnate Christ because those things haven't been revealed yet. Um, And so we use those terms because it looks like it's the second person of the Trinity manifesting himself uh, in these places. So, um that's uh, that's a it's a tougher thing to I mean it's not just a simple answer of this is absolutely what it is uh, it's pulling a lot of pieces of things that this is the best explanation that fits what Scripture gives us. That's good. Did you have a question about demons this week? I did have a question about demons. I had somebody say because and I I don't have a particular. I don't think they tied a particular passage to it, but just throughout the readings in Matthew, and and it's going to continue on as we read through Mark, obviously all the Gospels, uh, there are going to be several encounters with people. Jesus has different encounters with people in which they are possessed by demons, and then demons are cast out. And and then and this is a common question. It's like, so what happened to all this demon possession? Because today you don't have people coming forth at the altar and saying, hey, uh, my son's demon-possessed. I was wondering if we could have a special ha- a service. We lay hands on him, and then we lay hands on, and then the pastor says, well, this one only comes out by fasting and prayer, so let's all not eat for the next three days so we can cast Bob's son's demon out. Um, you don't get that a lot. Now, I'm going to say there are church services I've been in where that actually <laughs> does take place. So I'm going to say it doesn't happen. I'm saying predominantly you don't see it a lot happening. And uh, and the question is is well what is what is mental illness and and what how does that relate to different things? It, this is where it's really important to understand that what you're reading in the Bible is true, and 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 has to be reconciled with exactly how the world is for structured today. Some people will say because Jesus was on Earth at the time that there was a lot more demonic activity in opposition to the Son of God roaming upon the planet. And so that's why it would manifest itself. But that would be just a complete guess because there's no nothing that it reveals that to us or Scripture doesn't allude to that in any way. You have people who are demon-possessed after Jesus dies, resurrects, and ascends into heaven, and you still have the apostles dealing with that. And you could probably, I guess, take the same line of thinking for that. But the reality is, is that more likely uh, it was that we have people with the same conditions today. We just come up with names to identify those things from a naturalistic scientific standpoint because our scientific community, almost always today anyway, comes from a naturalistic point of view. They don't think in terms of the supernatural. In fact, the term supernatural almost flies in the face of everything that science and medicine believes in today. But um, but we do believe in the supernatural. We do believe in things. We do believe in a realm that it, we cannot see. We believe in a demonic realm. We believe that Satan has demonic influences. In fact, specifically, just to be specific about it, 
you have Satan and a third of the host of heaven. So just like God has angels to do his bidding, to be his messengers, and says that he has angels watching over us and looking after us, so Satan has demons to torment, taunt, and provoke us. Uh, a little bit of insight is given to us in the book of Job when Satan goes to God and um, and is from roaming upon the earth. And when he's having this discourse with God about Job and how Job is so faithful, and Satan says, well, that's just because you put a hedge of protection around him. The first time God removes it, he says, you can touch everything he has, but you can't touch him. The second time Satan comes to God, God removes that protection and allows Satan to touch him. Now, when Satan is given that allowance, it's not like he becomes crazy. He actually has boils all over his body and sores all over his body. So that means that Satan has the ability uh, through his and the demonic realm has the ability to utilize bacteria, viruses, whatever, change the physical, makeup, change the physical of makeup, everything so that sickness develops and so forth. When you talk about him being the prince of the power of the air, yeah, I do believe he can make a tornado occur. I do believe he can raise up waves out of the ocean using to manipulate the natural elements, that he has that kind of power to wreak havoc upon the earth. And God allows him that when it fits within his will uh, to accomplish what he wants, because God ultimately is sovereign over all these things. So he gives Satan allowance to these things. So God is not instituting these things. But he does allow Satan to do these things when ultimately it will bring about God's satisfaction. The, so that, that means that if he has the power to affect us with those physical things, he also has the power to affect our brains, to affect our, to give us uh, what we would classify as mental illnesses, what we would classify as a lot of different things. It's not that there's not a physical explanation. It's not that there's not a scientific explanation. It's just, but it does... Uh, demonic influence can affect things that could have a natural explanation. Now, could it just be a spirit of a being inside that? I think that's the one we all, we want to think of if we think of something like the movie Poltergeist where right. somebody, mm -hmm. where there's, or, or uh, um, the exorcism, uh, all the exorcism movies, I mean, there's right. multiple ones, <laughs> um, because we, we think there's a demon actually inside the human being. Uh, that does happen. And, uh, and so what the nature of that looks like, though, what that brings to the person, what physical manifestations are of that, um, I don't know. It could, I mean, it could be could whatever, very, whatever, whatever, whatever bad things there are out there. The but, coronavirus. <laughs> could, oh, no. yeah. right, absolutely. <laughs> uh, the but the reality is this: the cure is the same. Mm. The cure is the mm. same. God provides uh, antibiotics. He provides uh, antibodies, has made our bodies and systems in such that he can get rid. He can also manipulate all those things to bring about cures. He has the ability to uh, supernaturally ex nihilo create things. So he uh, obviously has the ability to make people well. And, uh, and so if you were like when Jesus was on the earth and a demon is being cast out of that body and there were scientists with cameras and monitors of all these people, there could be some type of physical explanation for all the things that are happening. But the reality is, is that Satan utilized those things to create that torment at the time. And then God utilized his power in order to nullify whatever it was Satan was doing. So what you're saying is just because there's not, just because there's a, scientific just because we're privy to the scientific 
happenings and going-ons nowadays doesn't mean that they're not, like, potentially spiritually influenced. Like, just right. because we know about, um, you know, high-pressure systems and low-pressure systems and how tornadoes are formed yep. doesn't mean that that's not exactly how Satan or one of his people can, like, creates a tornado. You know? Right, exactly. Yeah. I, I think it actually is even larger in scope in that I would I would say all of it is spiritually driven, mm. that it is all by God's design, yeah. that it's not happening by accident, that every that every current of air, that every wave that runs, that all of it, all of it's going exactly as the way it was intended to be. And, and, and not just upon the planet Earth, but throughout the entire cosmos. Mm. I don't mm-hmm. believe there's a meteor that's going any direction that God has not, is not superintending everywhere that thing is going. So when Jesus says things like he knows the number of hairs on your head, he no sparrow falls to the ground without his notice, uh, he's, he's, he's saying to us, there's nothing that's happening that God is not aware of. But absolutely, um, when you have a person who's sick in your family, when you have a person who has some type of mental illness or, or things like that, there is a spiritual component to that. Could that person be healed in a church service just by somebody laying on their hands and asking God to do it? Absolutely. God can do whatever he wants. He has that power. Could he do it through therapy? Yes, he can. Can he do it through just simply uh, whatever, you know, whatever means? I think the the role of the body of Christ, and this is what you see uh, how he interacts with his people all through the New Testament, is he comes upon his people and says, this is what I want you to do. It's like when Jesus puts the mud on the guy's eyes to heal him. Could Jesus have healed the man's eyes without putting mud on him? Yes, he could have. But that was how the Holy Spirit moved upon him to work in that man's life at that time to bring about that particular result. And that's what we are to do is to, when we see the enemy uh, uh, acting in whatever way he's manifesting or whatever, when we see satanic activity happening, what we believe to be satanic activity, it's not for us to try to attack Satan. Uh, it is us for us to be attentive to what God is commanding us to do and just be obedient to him, and he will defeat the enemy through us or without us um, in, as a result of our obedience. Yeah. And I feel like some of what you touched in there, it's like that's why I have an issue who use science as an excuse to not follow God because, I mean, they're, because then they'll say things like, well, if God created Earth, then how do you explain this? I was like, because God created Earth. Mm. Like, what is I, like I don't, like going back to what you're talking about tornadoes, how it's all about like high and low pressure systems. It's like, yeah, well, if that happens, then like, how could God do that? It's like, well, it, easy because He just created the science behind why it happens. Yeah, yeah, and then superintends it. I mean, He mm-hmm. is. It's not things don't happen apart from Him. He is. Um, he put these things in place, but you know, deism was the idea that God created the earth like a terrarium and uh, like everything, and everything is happening in it. But He is outside of the box and watching everything just unfold within it. Um, Thomas Jefferson thought that was the way. That's how he identified with God. Um, but what Scripture reveals to us is that it's not that he is a personal God, that he actually is involved with his creation, that he is in it and among it. And even Jesus says that we abide in him and he abides in us, that he is all around us and interacting with us. And so the, the things that are happening are he's not oblivious to. So Satan, yes, is here also. And he is has his demonic presence um, when 
the, the cool thing we know is that uh, since he has a third of the host of heaven, we know that angels outnumber demons <laughs> two to one. Uh, it's a simple math. And so the uh, says so there are more messengers of God than there are messengers of Satan. And, and that's, you know, that's all we have that information because it's supposed to give us a sense of, mm-hmm. of comfort and security. And Jesus says we can trust that he's going to take care of all of us. Yeah. And also to backtrack a little farther, um, I think it's an important distinction, like you were talking about earlier, that when when Satan does all this stuff, it's simply because God is allowing him to do it. Because like a lot of people view Satan and God on like an equal playing field, but that's not true at all. No, no, no. No, it, it would be like Satan's to, uh, that God is equal to the angels, mm-hmm. like that Mark Michael the archangel is the same as God. And uh, now Michael the archangel and Satan would be more on equal footing, uh, but God is God of both of them. And and again, Scripture. That's why God uses Scripture to reveal to us that Satan does nothing apart from God's permission. He mm-hmm. doesn't uh, have power apart from that. And I think the Book of Job really illustrates that well. Yeah. Because he, Satan can't even begin to mess with him until God's like, "All right, yeah, go ahead, see yeah. what happens." Yes, yes, yes. We did have a person who asked us to look at something who they were a little bit, I think, embarrassed, thinking we couldn't go on to uh, say this on the on the podcast because it deals with uh, prostitution <laughs> but and adultery. But it is in Proverbs chapter 6. Um, and, and, and the thing that this portion of Proverbs is an incredible passage, I think, of import for especially for young men, because it is an incredible warning against adultery. And and so the verse was, is that, um, uh, let me see, verse 26 says, For a prostitute's fee is only a loaf of bread, but the wife of another man goes after a precious life. And the question was, is God saying it would be better for the person to have chosen a prostitute versus committing adultery? And and that, I mean, to take it in that context, it would be saying, like, is God saying, again, is it better for me to kill a man um, maliciously or to, you know, or to kill a man with uh, ignorance? And uh, the reality is both are wrong. He's just saying he's trying to emphasize the gravity of adultery. Mm. Uh, if there was ever anything in your mind that thought it would be less of a sin against God to go after a prostitute or have an adulterous affair with somebody you knew versus committing sin with a prostitute, well, he dispels that. He's trying to say that uh, he's focusing on that adultery is an extremely grievous act. Adultery being that you have betrayed another man's trust that you have, uh, and death is the, uh, is the result of that. Uh, whether it is God killing you directly or the man coming after you and killing you as an, as an act of jealousy. But uh, yeah, the, don't misunderstand the point of the passage. It is a warning through the wisdom of Solomon that there are, uh, that immoral people will entice you to go down that path. That it's not one of those things that uh, you can just say, oh, this will never happen to me. He said, you need to be aware that there are people who are purposefully trying to draw you into that web. They are going to use your weaknesses. And if you are not prepared, if you do not, that's why Paul says, flee immorality. Um, Jerry Bridges, I think is the name, 
uh, had an incredible illustration about what, uh, that he would talk about something called the polar bear alert. And he talked about how polar bears had this internal sensor when they came too far down south that there was something inside their body that said, I'm too far down south, I need to go north to get back where it's cold because they go too far south, their coats and so forth are such that they'll die. Um, a polar bear is actually, I don't know if you know this or not, their skin is, their their follicles are clear. So anyway, they just reflect the sun. Anyway, that's another aside then. The, um, so... He called this the polar bear alert, and he was given this illustration. It was at a writer's conference, and there was a woman who was uh, talking to him and so forth, and they were just having a good conversation and uh, different writers at the conference in a public setting. And she just said, it's late, and I don't really want to walk back to my room by myself. Do you mind walking me back to my room? And so he said, okay. And so he walked her back to the room. And when she got to her room, she stuck the key in the door and started opening the door, and she said, yeah, I'm really enjoying the conversation. Do you want to come in and finish it? And he said – my polar bear alert started going <laughs> off, and he said, to the point where I panicked, I couldn't think of what to say, so I just turned around and ran away. <laughs> he said, now there's a woman out there somewhere who thinks I'm the craziest idiot on the planet. He said, but my wife loves me <laughs> and appreciates that I am that crazy guy. And that's and that's really, I think, what the writer here in Proverbs is saying. It's that when these situations present themselves, when you have the immoral woman who is reaching out to you, you need to run. You need to understand that is death. You need to see it as death. It's not like an enticement for a moment of pleasure. It is It is a trap that you're going to step into, and it will result in your demise. Yeah, it says, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned, or a man walk on hot coals and his feet not get scorched? Exactly. It's a, I mean, I guess the implication is that's impossible. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> exactly. yeah that's not possible. That last one... Kind of has been done, I guess, you know, those like... But like in the Psalms, does it, like, how every single verse of the Psalm is the same point, just phrased from two different perspectives. Mm -hmm. You know, like in this one, you have the prostitute, that's bad, and the adulterer, that's really bad. Yeah. It's the same point. Yeah. But from two different angles, just like the Psalms. That's right. And, it, and he's addressing um, the dangers of adultery, mm -hmm. so... Um, the, um, there was a passage in Proverbs 6, also verse 30 and 31, where he says, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. That verse stuck out to me because I remember years ago, a Sunday school teacher telling me that it was wrong to steal unless you were hungry and you needed food for you or your family, mm. then it was okay. And it's like, I remember I stood up in the class. I didn't feel it was enough to respond sitting down. I was visiting this church, and so I just I stood up and said, that is wrong. <laughs> it is an absolute that you cannot steal ever. Do not steal is an absolute truth. And and here yeah, just backs I mean, it up. That's, that, that's pretty much the same as saying, guys, don't murder, but if you really want to, go for it. <laughs> that's right. Like, if, he really, if he really made you mad, yeah. if he did something really, really bad to you, then yeah, it's okay to kill him. Uh, but... Um, no, yeah, exactly. If it's for your family, just do it. That's right. He, he, I'm sure he just watched Aladdin and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and was thinking it's okay because Aladdin does it. He's cool. Um, <laughs> but the reality is, is that yeah, and that's why I appreciate this proverb was that Solomon saying, you know, there are people who do this, yet it is still wrong, and there is a penalty for the sin that he committed. He said, don't despise the person for doing it. Don't judge him. He said, but. It is wrong. But don't do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is wrong, and you're going to be punished for it. Thank you, Austin, for being with us. Yes. Oh, yeah. Thanks for calling me, like, 
an hour ago. We'll yeah. get we'll get with your agent and try to get you another get booking you scheduled. Yeah. That's right. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast put on by First Baptist Church of Jackson. If you would like more information, you can find us online on our website at firstbaptistjackson.com. You can email us at daniel at firstbaptistjackson.tv. Or you can find us on social media, First Baptist Jackson on Facebook and FBCJMO on Instagram. We've got a lot of content in all of those places, and we would love to hear your questions on the content that we cover. If you would like to be a part of the podcast, you can email us and message us at any of those ways, or you can call the church office at 573-243-8415, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.